Isaiah. And you might say, well, that's only four letters. Well, Jeremiah wrote two books. He wrote Lamentations, so those are the Jedi prophets. And then, uh, then we had the 12 minor prophets. Now, some of you are laughing, not at me, but because of the picture above my head. Uh, that picture above our head, my head is a picture of something. You, you can speak up. What do you see? A moose. So if you are like some of the Israeli guides, that sounds like Amos, a moose. Okay, this is one of those puns, the picture puns. Now, one thing that's interesting about the book of Amos, what is the book of Amos about? Okay, some of you are figuring it out. You see a plumb line. I actually had one in my, you know, never used it. And maybe I look like the moose holding this thing. I don't know. But the, uh, what does the plumb line have to do with anything? For those of you that use one, what does it tell you? It, it's a straight line because gravity pulls it straight down. It also tells you what vertical is. Uh, you can use this as a standard that's consistent. Uh, it's really kind of fascinating how a, uh, when you have, a, a, as the moose is holding that, that, that thing, you're realizing that there is a standard being maintained by Amos in the book of Amos. So that's one of those memory devices where hopefully you'll remember as we look at the book of Amos. Now, I want us to reverently attend to the public reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at the first couple verses of the first chapter, and then we'll be turning over to chapter 7 and looking at a small portion there in verses 10 through 17. So let us, with reverence, pay attention to God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word as it was given to us in the originals. Uh, This is beginning of the book of Amos. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said... The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. I want to move you now to chapter 7. There's only eight chapters in this book. So in chapter 7, there's a portion that we'll pick up that tells us a little bit more about Amos. Verses 10 through 17. Then Amaziah, who's another guy, he, as the text tells us, is the priest of Bethel. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. And for thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from the land. Verse 12, And Amaziah said to Amos personally, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it's a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go Prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the words of that Lord. 
You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. But therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line and you yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Don't you love Amos? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that we might find encouragement in the prophet's words. I pray that we might be fascinated with the plumb line that is presented to us. I pray that we might find how we measure up. And I pray that we might find the one who does. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, If you bring up the map picture, I want to be able to tell you that Tekoa was one of the few places that we didn't get to go to. Seemed like we went to everything. Um, But I want you to know that Tekoa is really close to one of the places we were at. And if you're looking at that map in front, uh, this is the Dead Sea, and this is the Jordan River with the valley on each side. Jericho is right there. And when you go from up over to Jerusalem, you're climbing mountains. Uh, We made that trip several times, and I'm telling you, there's a place called the Good Samaritan kind of a shack, and, uh, and it's all because Jesus said that when they were traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, um, it's really, really fascinating. All these things come to life. Uh, but what we were looking here is Tekoa is down here, and between them is, oh, little town of Bethlehem. So I wanted you to be able to get a perspective that Tekoa is very, very similar to the little town of Bethlehem. And once you get that in your mind and you're realizing it's only, uh, it's, it's like Tekoa is about 10 miles from Jerusalem and Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem, it's, it's really, really a similar parallel uh, understanding. So if you're with me on this, we're talking about a guy named Amos who was born and reared down there in Tekoa. Now he is living during the 700s B.C., now, to give you a little bit of perspective, there was, a, there was a, one of the forefathers, one of the founders of his country that he would, uh, just like we would talk about George Washington, he would talk about a guy named King David. Now, can you help me if you would? Where was King David born? Okay, if you're, if you're starting to put the pieces together, we know that uh, Joseph and Mary had to go to the city of David, okay, because that's where Bethlehem was, and that's where Ruth and Boaz had, had kind of settled down. So David was brought up in the same region, and so when, when uh, little, little Amos was growing up, he no doubt knew all about the stories about King David, another shepherd who would keep watch over his flocks by night. That's the kind of occupation that we find that Amos had. You don't know a lot about Amos, but Amos is coming at about 750, and David was in there in the thousands, um, so right, right at the thousands. So it's about 250, 300 years since all of the good days. And, you know, it's a lot like I'm saying our comparison to George Washington. We think about, oh, how was it back then? Well, Amos grew up in an era now that the, that the, uh, the glory days of, Joshua, or excuse me, of David and Solomon are, are different because when David was, was conquering and Solomon was building, the glory of God filled the temple. And those were the glory days of the, the 12 tribes. Wow. And now Amos is growing up in an era, just like we're growing up in an era a couple centuries later. And we're wondering, are they good times or are they bad times? Are you living in good times or bad times? 
Some of you are real quick to speak up and say bad times. But I'll tell you, as I brought my kids back, I asked them if we, you know, we had stayed in some nice hotels over in Israel. And we even went into Jordan and crossed over there to go to Petra. And I was just asking them, Did you, do you feel as an American that you have a high or medium or low standard of living? And it's really interesting how quickly we realize how good a standard of living we have here. But anyway... Is this the best of times or is this the worst of times? Amos is dealing with the same kind of struggle because now the second rule of Jeroboam is taking place in the northern kingdom. Jeroboam was the first of the, of the kings of the northern tribes. When they had the, the civil war and they split, Jeroboam, uh, he took the ten northern tribes. And now when Amos comes up, there's Jeroboam the second. He's, he's a... He just took the same name, so it's not the same guy. But this Jeroboam II is doing something kind of interesting. He is working deals, and he is enlarging the uh, the parameters. And right now, because the Assyrians are being occupied by another group of people, there isn't a whole lot of fighting going on. So you would think these were great times for Amos, right? But if you did our Old Testament survey class, you're going to realize how many of the kings of the north were godly kings. Thank you very much, students. The two of you over there, they put up like this. There weren't any godly kings in the north. And so as a result, Amos is called by God to go preach to the ten northern tribes, to the kingdom of the north. And it's, even though they have lots of money and they seemingly have a time of prosperity and they're under Jeroboam II, you know, they are happy with their president. If you understand the parallels, it was not a great time. Because they weren't walking with God. Now, when we look at this passage today, there's four things that, com- that come to my mind that I see. There's something unveiled. There's something uttered. There's something uncomfortable. And there's something accomplished. So when you think about these four things that you find in the text as is exposed, I wanted you to be able to remember them. And they all start with V's. So the first thing, something that's unveiled, is a vision. And we look at and we see that in verse 1 of chapter 1, the words of Amos which he saw concerning Israel. There was vision. He could see things. He had the helicopter view. We're going to explore that in just a moment. Secondly, there was something uttered. If you look at verse 2, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. I want you to know something was uttered, and it made sense. It wasn't babble. It was speech. God's voice was being Spoken. That's what we're going to look at. Secondly, something uttered his voice. Thirdly, when we pick up in chapter 7, we're going to find something uncomfortable. And this is kind of weird because you have our introduction of another guy. You would think this guy's a nice guy because what job does he have? Amaziah is a priest. And of course, everybody has great admiration for priests, don't we? Everybody's heard wonderful things about priests. Well, Amaziah was a priest and Amos was a prophet. They're both, shall we say, church workers. But there was conflict because Amaziah was a priest of Bethel instead of a priest in Jerusalem. And you're going to find some unique things here. But there is conflict. There is uncomfortableness that arises. And when we explain that, I think it's going to bring to light some of how we understand God's lack of partiality. God's lack of stereotyping. 
You'll see that in just a moment. And finally, uh, before it's all said and done, in verse 17, you have this interesting word, therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? It's telling you that because of this other information, something else is going to come to pass. And I call that something accomplished. And I'm using the word there as victory. So we have the, the, uh, the four V's. One is vision. One has to do with, uh, the second one has to do with a voice. The third with vulnerability. And the fourth with victory. So as we unpack this, I hope you'll be able to follow and see what I'm talking about. Um, so the first thing that we're introduced to is the vision that God has. Because Amos didn't get it by just hanging out with the sheep. Okay, God is the one who has this vision. So if you look at verse 1, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now, when you think through this for a moment, there is vision. Somebody is looking and seeing further than the rest of the folks. And that is what typically happens when you do your New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year. You're looking out over the new year, 2016, and what do you see? Some of us close our eyes when we look. We're afraid to look. There's others who set wonderful resolutions. I, I, I was testing the pulse of our church back there at, at, uh, during, during the last Sunday of the year, and I found that a lot of people are not even making resolutions anymore. You don't want to be found to be a liar. But there's a sense in which you're comfortable with the status quo. In fact, you're hoping things don't change. Because you don't want to get older. You don't want to get frailer. You don't want to get forgetful. You don't want to get poorer. A lot of things are interesting. But when I look and I see Amos, Amos has been given a vision. He's given insight into what's out there. Now, if you go back to some of the other Proverbs from Solomon, uh, Proverbs chapter 29, 29 verse 18, it says that, um, that there, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's nobody that has revelation, when you can't see what's going on, people just get stuck in the rut and they don't go anywhere. It is our prayer that this church doesn't get stuck in a rut and doesn't go anywhere. We are anticipating not only that we will see 12 kids or 300 kids. How many did Chrissy ask for? A thousand? I tell you, according to your faith, maybe it shall be. But when I look at, at Amos with the vision, he's, he has been just content taking care of the sheep, uh, being a farmer, taking care of the figs until some things happened. And God showed him a vision. He showed him the way it is among the people of God in the northern kingdom of Israel. God sees what is and what was and what is to come. And he gives to this man the eyes of faith, the helicopter view to be able to take things in. And he begins to see God clearer. He begins to see how holiness is what God loves. And he begins to see the ugliness of the sin that is in front of him that is prevalent among the people of God up north. And he also sees that God cares because he sees the value of human souls. You see, as God gives us vision, my prayer is that we would see those kind of things too, that this year we would be more aware that it's not just about how it affects us, but what is God doing with the big picture? That's the vision. Secondly is the voice. 
As soon as we find out that the vision is given to Amos and the words of that vision are to be written down and explained, then we find that God utters his voice. Verse 2, and he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Now, it's interesting when you think about the uttering of something. If God was to speak to the current situation in America, what would he say? Would God whisper, it's okay, everything's okay? Or do you think God might roar like a lion? Now, usually the roaring has some connotations to it. As I've indicated to you before, when I saw the roar of a lion on the, on the fields out there in the Masai Mara of Africa in Kenya, that lion stood up and roared, and I think all of us in the, in the bus needed to, needed to take a few minutes to get back to earth. It was a scary thing when you hear a roar. But when Amos comes out of this and he says, the Lord roars from Jerusalem, the voice of God is being uttered, and it's going to have some effects. I want you to know that this voice is a voice of authority, a voice of judgment, and it's a voice of timeliness. When you look here, you're going to see that the authority is mentioned because of Jerusalem. Now, I've already laid the foundation for you that Tekoa is just a few miles south of Bethlehem, which is a little south of Jerusalem. So, Tekoa, anybody from Tekoa feels right at home with Jerusalem. Now, where is Amos doing most of his speaking? to the ten northern tribes, which don't have Jerusalem. They don't get to go to Jerusalem because they don't get to cross over the borders and make that trip with the same kind of ease as they used to have. Now they're bitter enemies. It was almost like for us leaving Jerusalem to go into Bethlehem, we had to go from the Israeli-occupied area to the Palestinian-occupied area, and we had to switch guides. It was strange when they opened the door of the bus and the one guy got off, then we went through the wall and we came out on the other side and another guy gets on. And that's normal. You have to get, guess, get used to it. But back in the days, there was tension after that civil war and people from the north didn't have the respect for Jerusalem. Instead, they didn't want to lift up Jerusalem, so they came up with alternatives. They said, we don't want Jerusalem, so we have other places. And one of their key places was Bethel, the house of God. But at the house of God, they set up a kingdom, they set up a palace, they set up places to worship. And so that's where Amaziah comes from. So you can see the difference. So when, when the authority, when the voice of God utters from Jerusalem, everybody in the north is saying, I don't want to hear it. Jerusalem doesn't carry any respect for us anymore. We want to hear from the authority of our king. We don't want to hear the authority from Jerusalem. So the voice of authority is one thing that, that Amos comes with. Secondly, he comes with a voice of judgment. When you look at what he's saying, what God is roaring, it's not niceness. It's not saying everybody's wonderful. I see you, you see me, we're one happy family. You know, that's something that Barney would say. You know, the, the dinosaur, the purple one. You know, that's kind of the message that a lot of messengers want to say. But that's not what Amos said. When you look at verse 2, it talks about the pastures there where the sheep are. And he mentions the green lands over Mount Carmel. 
And as we stood there at Mount Carmel, I can understand why. As the, the breezes come off of the, the Mediterranean Sea, and there's a lot more moisture in that area. And so the Jezreel Valley is much more fertile. And it's really fascinating. There's a lot more water. And when the judgment of God is being uttered, he's saying to the people that live in the Carmel area, it's going to wither. But he starts off by saying, all of you that deal with pastures, you know, with animals that graze, it's going to be difficult. You see, the judgment of God has ramifications in real life. Because you can't, you can't just get away with sin. Behold, if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. That's what Galatians chapter 6 talks about. So when you understand that, that he is saying with this voice that is authoritative and this voice with judgment involved, it's also timely because we just found out that Amos is called and to, to speak up in the, in the year that Uzziah is reigning, in the year that Jeroboam is ruling up north, and it's two years before the great earthquake. The irony, and nobody knows when that earthquake technically took place, but it rocked their world. Hey, that's a literal statement, but I mean, it affected everybody that was in Amos' time, and I think most people saw that as the judgment of God. Two years before that, Amos is called to start speaking and saying, difficult days are ahead. Because you can't just go through, it's not just all about the economy. It's not just all about jobs. It's not just all about getting along. It's about getting right with your creator. Now, that's the second point that you find about the voice, uh, and it's clearly communicated. But then you also find that there is vulnerability. As we turn to chapter 7, we encounter something uncomfortable. Amaziah is speaks with boldness. He seems to have King Jeroboam's ear. He seems to be a bigwig in the northern kingdom. And he's basically saying, there's not room for the both of us. And so he looks at Amos, who's this nobody, and he says, go home. Go away. Because the two things, he says, your credentials are unimpressive. And he says, your commentary is unwelcome. We don't want you up here. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever gone to family events where they want to tell you to be quiet or go back home? You see, if they don't do that to you, then maybe you're birds of a feather and you're able to flock together. Maybe you have Christian family. But when you're living in this world, so often the reality is, is that they're going to be like Amaziah and they're going to just say, time out, you go home. We don't need you. We don't need your words. We're bothered by what you have to say. You, they don't use the word conviction. They just get angry. We don't want you. This isn't supposed to be the way it is. These are all children of Abraham. But that's the way it is. The voice of God is roaring because there are these kind of conflicts going on. There are those who pose themselves to be righteous and those who are righteous. And they're not the same. Amaziah presents himself as a great priest, as somebody to be respected, somebody that has the ear of the king. Where the other guy here, the prophet, he just comes out and he says, this is what the Lord says. Who would you follow? Well, the Bible says in the New Testament that most people will heap to themselves those who will tickle their ears and say the nice things. Wow. The issues that are before us, the credentialing. You know, we just watched another debate. I don't know if you're paying attention to them, uh, but it's kind of interesting. 
I tried to stay awake after all the jet lag. It was a little bit hard. Um, but, but when you think about it, what are we looking for when we're watching a debate? A presidential candidate debate. Are you looking for people to mess up? Are you looking for people to articulate what you want them to say? Are you looking just to see fireworks? You know, if they can pick off each other? Are you just hoping that they're going to say something against somebody in the White House now? Or are you hoping that they'll say something nice about it? What is it that we're looking for? You see, many of us are like Amaziah, and we look at these people, and we look at their credentials, and we say, wow, they have great credentials. That one has lots of money. That one has lots of experience in the court. That one has lots of experience in the Senate. That one has lots of experience in, in the uh, administration of a state. Is that what we're looking for for credentialing? Maybe it is for a political position. But if we're looking for godly people, those credentials are not the things that, are, that God looks at. If you went to 1 Samuel chapter 16, because that was when the prophet Samuel came looking for little David. He came to the house of Jesse up there in the Bethlehem region. And he says, Jesse, God sent me to your house. And so he went from all the older sons and the next son and the next son and the next son. How many sons did he have? He had a lot. So he goes down and it just seems like forever and finally he runs out of them because the littlest son, David, is still out in the fields watching the sheep. And Samuel looks at at Jesse and says, don't you have another one? God's not wrong. He said to come here. And so David comes in and he's anointed the king. You see, and in that verse there, it says that the Lord looks not on the outward appearance like we do. He doesn't credential people just because they have a big smile or because they have a a big wallet or because they have a big appearance. He looks at their heart. And God still does that today. When the mirror was lifted up and we were showing it to the girls, they're going to have to look inward. When was the last time you looked inward? See, when we look at this uncomfortableness, we see the credentialing issues because those that are of the world want great worldly credentials. Those that are not of this world are looking for great spiritual godly uh, credentials, righteousness. Just like it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And that's what, what Amos had. That's why he has the plumb line and he says, this is the right standard. Now, there was the credentialing, but the other one was the message. Nobody wants to hear the bad message. And so he echoes what the message was. If you'll follow along with me, you can see it in chapter 7. Uh, it's really fascinating how Amaziah sums up the message that comes out of Amos's mouth. Because there he says, For Amos, you have said that Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Okay, first thing, Amos, the only thing we hear from you is not that you're talking about God. You're talking about our king dying. We don't like that. Secondly, you say that Israel must go into exile away from its land. That means you're talking about the people that live up here. My brothers and sisters, my community, my neighbors. You're going to say that we can't stay where we are. We're going to be exiled. We don't like that either. So, for thus Amos has said that Jeroboam shall die and that Israel must go into exile. And so Amaziah concludes, we don't like your message. Change it. Actually, he's already passed that. He doesn't tell him to be quiet. He just says, go away. If you want to rant rant and like that, he says, rant to somebody else. Go back to Judah. You You can have your party down there. Just leave us alone. You see, when you start to realize with people that have that mentality, 
Do they have God and his righteousness? No, they're seeking their own kingdom because when you look at how he comes back, he says that, um, that this is a place for the king and for the palace and he does not want it to be uh, at the end of verse 13. Never again prophesy up here in Bethel for it is the king's place, his sanctuary, and it is the temple of his kingdom. We don't want all that Jerusalem stuff. Just keep it to yourself. You see, that's the controversy that arose, the awkwardness, the uncomfortableness. Now, having laid out all that, the text then takes us to a transition. In verse 17, therefore, therefore there's going to be some changes. Because he who sits in the heavens, as Psalm 2 says, can laugh. You can set up your own kingdom. You can set up your own palace. You can set up everything in your... You can have your ducks in order in 2016 too. But therefore, God's will is going to be done. Now, God's will is kind of interesting. When you look there at the end of chapters, uh, verse 17 on, Therefore says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided up and with the measuring line. And you yourself shall die in an unclean land. And Israel shall surely go into exile. Now, these are the clarity that Amos comes back speaking as God's spokesman. He says these five things. Your wife is going to get involved sexually with others. Yuck. Poor Amaziah is saying, that's hitting pretty close to home. How close can you get? But he quickly follows that up and he says, your kids are all going to die violently. Is this really a God of love? Thirdly, your land is definitely going to be taken. It's going to be measured and divided up. It's not going to be yours. Fourth, your life is going to end, and it's not even going to end on your home turf. You're going to be exiled. You're going to be a nomad. You're going to be gone. And fifth, all these people that you think you're serving, they're going to be gone too. Now, what is God actually saying in this? I called it a victory speech. It's weird. When I was in Israel and we went to the Temple Mount and then we went over to the Wailing Wall and then we went uh, down to the, uh, the Sepulcher Cave, you know, where they have the, the churches that are built. I think there's four or five denominations that, that uh, monitor the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. I didn't find many Christians there. Not on the Temple Mount, not at the Wailing Wall and not at the Holy Sepulcher. I found a lot of people who were very religious and I had very much respect for them. It was pretty fascinating. Some of them made you respect because they were carrying weapons. You can talk to my son about it. We had to wear certain clothes just to be up there. But when you go to these different religions' expectations, it is fascinating how intense, how excited, how, how engaged they are. The Muslims at the top by the Dome of the Rock, the Jews by the Wailing Wall, as they look like they're back and forth, and the people down by the Holy Sepulchre that had all these ornate things, kissing the rocks, standing in long lines, almost as if if they touch this, their life is going to be better. You see, none of that has the gospel. There's bits and pieces and, and that, are, that, that you could get to the gospel from there, but in themselves, they are just works. And we believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, only through Christ alone. And I didn't find Christ in any of those things. Even though they were tying Christ to the Temple Mount, they were tying Christ to the Wailing Wall, and they were tying Christ to that sepulcher. They didn't trust in Christ. 
to you. You see, as I unfold this passage from from Amos, it's very, very interesting that the vision is cast before us and God's voice is speaking and there is a vulnerability that messes us up, but it deals with reality. And the victory comes not in that he destroys all this stuff. The victory comes in that God says he's God. You don't have to feel like God went on vacation. You don't have to feel like there is no God out there. You don't have to feel like it, like it doesn't matter. You know that great question that says, why do good things happen to bad people? Well, it's, you could rewrite that and say, why do religions seem to prosper when they don't have the gospel? Well, what, what Amos is saying to the people that are religious up north, you're not going to prosper. You're not going to have the utopia that you think you're going to have. It's all going to fall to pieces. And that's the victory. Is that if any of you know somebody, or if you yourself are one of those people who are caught up in the religious treadmill, you're doing, 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 doing. You're giving, 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 giving. You're going, 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 going. If you're trying to do all these things so that you can be right with God, you are not going to win. When you stand at the pearly gates, you will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, the only way to have victory is not through your own strength. It is not through political uh, success. It is through the righteousness of God. And sadly, none of us possess it. Paul in the New Testament tells us as simple as it can be, There is none righteous, no, not one. But then he goes on and later in chapter three and he says, but there is a righteousness that can be attained, a righteousness that can be given to you, a righteousness that comes from Jesus himself. It's imputed righteousness. He puts it into our bank account. And so we who, know, who, who are sinful all the way through, we're tainted with sin. We would, say, we would call that in, in the tulip, we're totally depraved. There's nothing holy within us that is totally pure. But because of the salvation that comes in Christ, we are transformed. We get a righteousness that is not by our law keeping, but by his. And you see, that's why when Matthew records Jesus' first sermon, there we stood at at the mount where he spoke the Beatitudes. He says, don't worry about the flowers, Don't worry about the birds. Your heavenly father knows all these things. And so he simply comes back and he looks at the disciples. He looks at the crowd, just like I'm looking at you. And he said, so seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. That's it. That's where victory comes from. Are you going to, you pursue it, you love it, you cherish it. You don't go in other directions, to the left or to the right. You seek first God's agenda. And God's agenda is going to end up revealing the emptiness of every other religion, even Amaziah's. Amaziah thought he had the corner on the market, but he couldn't even keep his wife out of prostitution. He couldn't keep his, his kids safe. He couldn't even keep the people that he was serving comfortable. He didn't have... God on his side. Do you have God on your side? Do you know Christ? 
The cross is lit up before us every Sunday you come to church. Why? Because of the preaching of the cross is to them that are dying foolishness. But unto us who get it, we know it's the power of God. Amos is, is, a, is a little guy that came out of nowhere from a little town of Tekoa. He was born there and he took care of sheep. He was a nobody. And God used this nobody to speak boldly to the northern kingdom. There was another little guy who was born in Bethlehem. And he was called the great shepherd. You can read about him in Psalm 23. And that one grew up to be a mighty man of God because he was God. And at the age of 33, this one in such great humility, the world despised him. They spat upon him. They, Isaiah tells us in 53 how, how he was bruised and beaten and he was, he was almost rejected by mankind. It was that one who was born in Bethlehem who brought a greater victory than any of us could imagine when he died on the cross to pay for our sins. You see, Amos was a forerunner for Christ. And the fact that he's even speaking tells us that God didn't just give us what we deserved, but God had a message of hope. And the people of the northern kingdom, they got to hear that message of hope just like us today. We get to hear the message of hope. Will it fall on deaf ears? Or is it being coupled with faith so that you hear it? Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that everyone in this room would would be uh, hearing from God. I pray that your uttering, your voice would roar in our hearts. That you would cause us in 2016 to run away from the pet sins. That we would not accommodate those things that are ungodly. Lord, instead, I pray that you might renew our zeal as a resolution to seek first your agenda, your kingdom, your righteousness. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would find the peace that passes understanding, the peace that we talked about that comes from Jerusalem, the peace that was purchased there as Jesus was hoisted up on that cross that cruel day when the earth actually shook again. And the veil of the temple was rent. For there was no more condemnation to be laid upon us because it was laid there on Christ. We have peace with God through his atonement. Lord, I thank you for this message of hope that Amos shares. I pray that as we move forward into the new year, that instead of being afraid of God, may we be inclined to run to him. I pray that you might change our agenda so that we're seeking your agenda first. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and join us.